0: All right, I want to welcome everybody to another uh, live edition of the Trumpet Series Bible Study Broadcast. This is your host, Brother Nick Bailey, coming to you live from the United Baptist Church Auditorium on Wednesday. I think that's what the day is, Wednesday, October the 27th. Does that even seem possible? Two thousand and twenty-one. But uh, like it or not, it's the truth, and boy, I tell you, we sure have had, it's a beautiful day outside after a couple of dreary and rainy days, Uh, but this morning we had what I believe uh, to be the first frost of the year, and you know what that means, wintertime is right around the corner. So um, like it or not, we better enjoy these warm days while we have them because it's not going to be long till uh, the warm days are over. I know you're glad. You're thankful you're blessed today. So far beyond what's gained through earth. Amen. Thank God we all know what it is to be blessed today even if you're lost. You know what it is to be blessed. Amen. And I, I you know again we're coming up on Thanksgiving here just in a few weeks and I don't know about anybody else but I don't want to be ungrateful and unappreciative of the Lord's blessings. Amen. But I want to make sure that um that I'm mindful of just how blessed I am and just how blessed, just how good God has been to this old sinner. Amen. Thank God for His blessings. Uh, all right, well, here we are. Halfway through another week, hump day, that means it's Wednesday prayer meeting night and I want to encourage everybody to support your local uh, church prayer meeting ministry this evening. Here at United we'll be having our United for Christ uh, youth ministry so if you're looking for a good youth program to involve your kids in I want you to consider letting your children attend our program. We're kicking off tonight at 7 o'clock p.m. We have snacks, lessons, activities and fellowship with other young people. Um I want to remind you, friends. It's past time we get serious. It's high time for us to get serious about reaching another generation with the gospel message. The devil currently, and I know you'd agree with this uh, today, Satan has a stranglehold on the young people of this society, and it's time for the people of God to stand up and take back what the devil's stolen from us. God forbid that you let. The old devil uh, robbed you of your children. The most precious commodity and asset you have, aside from salvation and your wife, amen, is your children. And God forbid that, that we'd be guilty of letting Satan rob us of our precious children. Amen. We need to, just like, uh, I believe it was Shema uh, amen, that uh, wouldn't let the devil... Uh, wouldn't let the enemy rob him of his pea patch. Might not have meant uh, anything to anybody else, but to Shammah, it meant something to him. That pea patch of his, the lentil patch, was worth fighting for. And I believe our children are one of the things that are worth you and I. It's a cause. Uh, David uh, uh, challenged the Israelite army and his brothers. He said, is there not a cause? And I want to remind you tonight that the younger generation of our children... That's a cause that you and I need to be putting up a fight for, and we need to take back this younger generation that the devil has stolen from us. United for Christ Youth will occur uh, again tonight, uh, Buckingham Road, United Baptist Church, 7 o'clock p.m. Van transportation is provided. If you'd like for us to pick your kids up, you can bring them Uh, if you'd like, uh, and let them attend the youth program while you stay upstairs and be a part of the Wednesday night prayer meeting service. But if you'd like for us to pick your children up and they're within the city limits or very close to the city limits here in Greenville, we'd be more than honored to uh, pick your children up and we'd bring them home safe and sound uh, according to the uh, help of the Lord. Also, remember the Ark Revival. We're going into high gear about promoting the upcoming Ark Revival. I really believe God's going to do big things. Uh, the Ark Revival again, uh, November the fifteenth through the nineteenth, Monday through Friday, seven o'clock p.m. Crescent School Venue. We'll be having. We've got a lineup of preachers scheduled Monday through Friday. It'll uh, be highlighted on Friday night with a special youth night. Brother Mike Sage, pastor at Freedom Baptist Tabernacle, Adkins, Virginia, will be preaching Friday night's message of the day. We'll be singing. Uh, again, so don't miss out on the Ark revival. Uh, again, I'm talking about churches from the community, Christians from all over uh, Greene County, Tennessee, coming out to support, rallying together uh, to support this community revival. Also, there will be an Ark banquet. The first annual Ark banquet will take place uh, on the 20th. Uh, the re- revival ends on Friday night, the 19th. The banquet will occur on Friday, uh, Saturday, the 20th, at 5 o'clock p.m. at Crescent School. Uh, again, there's going to be a catered meal. There will be uh, an art presentation. There's going to be a silent auction and a, and a fundraising a drive to raise uh, funding for uh, finances for the, um, the art ministry. So come out and support that. Event, uh, you do need a ticket to attend the banquet, not the revival. We're not going to charge admission. I'd be afraid God would strike me dead for charging admission to to a church service or a worship service. But we will charge admission for the banquet, $10 apiece, $5 for children, 3 and under get in free. So remember this. And you can pick up, you can purchase your tickets at the art thrift store in Greenville. Uh, and again, uh, we also are doing sponsors, if you'd like to sponsor a table, if you have a business or your church would like to uh, sponsor a table for the venue, you can do so, $200 per table, uh, sponsor, uh, amen, and then you could also uh, put the logo for your business or your church, and we're going to be passing out uh, booklets uh, that, uh, again, explain uh, the purpose behind the Ark Ministries. And in the back of these booklets, we're going to have an advertising section. And if you would like to advertise your business in these ARC booklets, uh, you can do a full-page ad for $100. You can do a half-page ad ad for $75. And you can do a quarter-page ad for $50. So, again, you can um, come by the ARC, and we'll help you with that. Or call me at, uh, again, uh, area code 423-863-1830. And, uh, again, I can't think of a better cause that is worth supporting the, the Ark Ministries. The ARC Ministries, we've got a great vision. We believe God's going to do great things as we continue to work to help those who um, deal with uh, substance abuse and help them recover from that uh, by way of um, um, uh, Bible study and, and discipleship. And uh, again, not only that, but benevolence. We also help with benevolence here in the community. And then uh, we're having these revivals and these rallies uh, to try to get the gospel out and to see people saved by way of this community ministry. Uh, Also, the Hope for America rally is coming up a week from this Friday night. I can't believe we're only a little more than a week away from the um, Hope for America rally. Uh, Brother D.R. Harrison and Brother Greg Locke will be preaching uh, this Hope for America rally on um, November the 5th, Friday night, 7 o'clock p.m. right here at United Baptist Church. Make plans to attend uh, as we're expecting a full house, overflow crowd uh, again. And that's another cause I believe worth fighting for and defending, and that is the cause of America. America's not my primary cause. That's the gospel. But secondly, I believe uh, America is a cause worth defending and standing up for. So come out to United Baptist Church November the 5th, 7 o'clock p.m., uh, again, hear uh, Brother D.R. Harrison, Brother Greg Lentz preach. And of the day, uh, again, from Freedom Baptist Tabernacle in Adkins, Virginia, they will be furnishing the singing for that event. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. I do want to ask you, uh, this request was brought to my attention. Pray for Chris Long, uh, uh, a friend of mine. He's about my age. He is having surgery today on an impacted wisdom tooth that has a very large cyst on it. It'll be a very tricky procedure. So remember, Chris Long in prayer, uh, amen. And again, if you have a special prayer request that you'd like for us to mention during these broadcasts, I encourage you to uh, put them in the comments section on the uh, Facebook uh, live stream feed. Or you could send me a private message through Messenger or um, text my phone number. Again, area code 423-863-1830 and we'll do our best to get those prayer requests uh, out so uh, God's people can be uh, praying for one another. There's power in prayer, and and that's a way we can bear one another's uh, burdens by way of the the avenue uh, and the channel of prayer that we can access the throne of God boldly and with confidence. Let's pray, Father in heaven, I love you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for another day that you give to us. This is the day the Lord's made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Father, thank you, God, for this ministry, God. And Lord, um, just for uh, stirring my heart, God, to uh, do my best to encourage others to be faithful in their study of the word of God. Uh, Lord, uh, promote daily devotions, God, in scriptures, God. And I pray, uh, Lord, that, you might, that your blessings and favor uh, uh, might be upon this broadcast. Lord, uh, put a hedge of protection about us. Lord, keep the door open. Uh, whether it be by way of Facebook, by way of uh, uh, YouTube, or even through the, the, the podcast. Lord, I pray that you would keep the avenue, the door of opportunity open so we can continue to spare not, cry loud, lift up our voices like a trumpet. Uh, Lord, I pray, God, that you'd use your word today, that it'd speak to our hearts, fall on good ground. Your word would not be a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. It'd be the power of God. Lord, I pray, God, that uh, you'd honor your word Exalt your son to humble servant. I pray that your word might be a lamp in our feet and a light in our path. We'd hide your word in our hearts that, my, that, your, that uh, we might not sin against thee, Father. Lord, I pray your word would not return void, but it'd get the job done. We'll praise you in advance for what you're going to do. Uh, God, encourage your people. Restore the one that's backslid uh, on you. And, Father, if there might be one today that's lost, I pray that you draw them to yourself. Convict them by the Holy Ghost and save them by, your, uh, by the uncorruptible seed of your word. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, let's get right into it today. Uh, again, yesterday we surprisingly concluded chapter number two in our study of Paul's letter to the Romans. And uh, again, I didn't really expect us to get that far in our study. Uh, But again, we uh, spent most of our time considering this ordinance of circumcision and how that for the Jews it served as an outward symbol of the inward act that God had performed in the hearts of His people. And I didn't say this, I I wanted to, but uh, the significance and the purpose of circumcision for the Jews, it really played the same role that the Holy Ghost plays in our lives today during this new testament church age that we live in Uh, just as the holy ghost the holy spirit of god the indwelling presence of god's holy spirit that you and i who are saved possess uh, not by way of a second work of grace uh, amen uh, the process of sanctification although i do uh, believe in sanctification but uh, amen uh, uh, sanctification really Uh, It it doesn't have as much to do with salvation as it does separation. To be sanctified means to be set apart. Uh, Amen. And uh, it is progressive. The work of sanctification is progressive in our lives as Christians, whereas uh, uh, the act of justification is instantaneous and immediate. Uh, Amen. And when we get saved, uh, God stamps our hearts and stamps our lives with the identification badge, the identity badge of the Holy Ghost. He seals us. He stamps us. Uh, uh, and, it, and, and, and that sealing and that stamping action, uh, again, that occurs the moment that we trust Christ and that we're born again. We're born by the Word, but we're also born by the Holy Spirit of God. It, it denotes ownership. Uh, again, it is a symbol uh, uh, and, it, and, it, and it's an expression of ownership or possession. It is our identity badge, the fact that we belong to God by way of the Holy Spirit that indwells our hearts at the moment we of our conversion, the new birth. Uh, well, the rite of circumcision basically served the, the same purpose for the Jewish people. Uh, again, uh, Uh, circumcision uh, in a sense of course it was something that was extraordinary and unusual in their days the Gentiles, the heathen groups they were uncircumcised and uh, circumcision was limited to primarily the Jewish race and uh, they took pride in it uh, maybe to a fault but uh, you know it was an expression of the fact that they were set apart and that they belonged to God but it was an expression, the outward mark, uh, or the, the outward rite of circumcision um, was, it illustrated the inward, uh, the inward uh, fact that they belonged to God, That the Jews. Uh, amen. It wasn't the, the circumcision of their flesh uh, that made the difference. It was the circumcision of their heart, the fact that their heart had been tenderized. And soften up by God. Amen. And, uh, you know, that is, you know, we said that in a sense, just like the other uh, forms of measurements or the other standards that you and I will be held to and judged by when we stand before God one day, uh, God will use these, uh, these standards to judge our lives by and to measure us up. For instance, when we stand before God... Uh, one of the standards by which God will judge our lives, He's going to use His truth, the truth of His word. He's going to use His goodness. All of these are found in Romans chapter 2. He's going to use the law that He gave to Moses by way of the Jewish people. And He's also going to use our consciences. That's another standard uh, that you and I will be judged by. Uh, Even though the Gentiles did not have or possess the law, Per se, they did have their conscience to guide them, and because of the conscience, that inner voice that uh, naturally helped them to determine and distinguish between that which was right and wrong, or that which was truth and that which was error, uh, they would be. They were guilty. They, they were guilty before God, and they would be held in contempt or declared without excuse because of that inner conscience. But also, for the Jewish people, the right of circumcision was another standard by which they were measured by. Uh, uh, again, it, it, it was dec- to determine whether or not they were, uh, they were just or unjust, right or wrong. Now you and I are not, our righteousness and our justification is not determined by uh, the, the right of circumcision. Circumcision certainly is not an ordinance of the local church like it was uh, an ordinance for the Jewish people. But yet, the principle of inward circumcision does still apply to us. The circumcision not of the flesh but of the heart. Uh, Amen. The sacrifices of God are a contrite spirit and a broken heart and God will not despise that. So, in a sense, one of the standards that God will use to judge us and, and measure um, our condition, whether or not spiritually we are uh, righteous or unrighteous in God's sight, it's the condition of our heart, whether or not we have experienced the miracle of spiritual circumcision, whether or not our hearts have been tenderized, whether or not the, the fatty and the, the, the fatty tissue or the flesh. Uh, Amen. Uh, uh, The foreskin of of our hearts has been removed and has been softened up. And whether or not God has plowed up the fallow ground of our hearts, amen. That's going to be a standard by which God measures us by one day. So now, again, we also, yesterday, honed in on the importance of making sure that the outward testimony and the way we present ourselves publicly lines up with, meshes with, collaborates and corroborates with the inward work God has performed in our lives as Christians. Who we are inwardly ought to be verified by uh, who we portray ourselves outwardly. There, there ought not to be a discrepancy or a, uh, a amen, there ought not be any kind of um, uh, difference between who we portray ourselves on the outward outside and who we really are on the inside. In our day, uh, it's almost as if because the inward man matters most, the outward man is of no importance or relevance, which I don't believe is true. In other words, just because it's not most important doesn't mean that it's not important at all. And just because it might not be the main thing doesn't mean it it shouldn't be a thing at all. Um, Just because it it, it may not be the primary emphasis doesn't mean it ought not be a secondary emphasis. Amen. And we could even apply that, and I'm running a rabbit today, but uh, our stand and our fight for America. Uh, Amen. Just because America might not be my primary cause, the cause of the gospel ought to be my primary cause, number one. Uh, Again, no doubt about it, there ought not be any question to anybody as to whether or not the gospel is the primary emphasis of my life. Amen. Uh, Amen. If I have to pick or choose between America or the gospel, I have no other choice you know, i not even have to think about it, but I must choose the gospel. But just because America may not be my number one cause and the number one priority of my life doesn't mean that it should not be a priority uh, in my life. And just because it, my, it may not be my nation, my love for my nation, my patriotism, just because it, it may not be the main thing, uh, of my life doesn't mean that it shouldn't be a thing, at all. And we see this same principle as it relates to the outward appearance versus the inward man. Yeah, yes, God uh, sees the out. Uh, God, man looks on the outward appearance, but God uh, uh, sees the heart. But but all man see. Man can't see the heart of man. Man can't see your heart. Man cannot visibly and tangibly see the miraculous change that transpired in your life on the day you got born again. The only uh, thing you and I as human beings have access to is the outer appearance of man. So just because the inward reality is most important doesn't mean that the outward appearance doesn't matter at all. And today it's as if God's people are just uh, chucking and throwing away and are disregarding the importance of the outward man. In other words, it doesn't matter what you wear. It doesn't matter the way you talk. I can live any way I want to live because, uh, amen, the emphasis is not the outward appearance, but it's upon the heart of man. Well, friend, know uh, your outward appearance, who you are, where you go, what you say, uh, ought to uh, uh, mesh with and jive with Who you are on the inside. Amen. And and when man looks at our heart, at our outward lives, our physical appearance, the way we present and portray ourselves publicly, it ought ought to point towards who we are inwardly and, and who we really are on the inside. There ought to be no confusion or no discrepancy. And people ought not be confused when they see uh, our attitudes and our actions and our, and our personal behavior and how we present ourselves before them, it, it ought not confuse us as to which side uh, of this thing we're really on. Uh, amen. Our lives ought to remind them of Jesus. Uh, the way we dress ought to remind them of Jesus. The, uh, the way we uh, wear our hair ought to remind them of Jesus. Uh, the way we talk ought to remind the world of Jesus. The places we go ought to remind people of Jesus. Uh, amen. The, uh, the things we do, the attitudes we have, uh, our conduct, uh, our communication, uh, all, our body language ought to remind people of Jesus. Why? Because... Our lives may very well be the only Bibles that some people ever read. We are living epistles. Amen. We also talked about how we must not be guilty of saying one thing with our words, but then turn around and doing something entirely different by the way we live our lives. According to the Apostle Paul, not only is that hypocrisy, but it's, uh, it's outright blasphemy in the sight of God. So here we go, moving on into chat number three. Paul is just continuing the same narrative he provided in the last few verses of chapter number 2 regarding the ordinance of circumcision. Amen. Verse number 1, we find uh, two questions really. What advantage then hath the Jew or what profit is there of circumcision? Here Paul addresses a natural question. How would his readers or his audience respond to uh, the statements that he made in chapter number two, the end of chapter number two, concerning the right of circumcision. Uh, again, and Paul, it's almost as if, if you just looked at it uh, on the surface, you would get the impression that Paul was demeaning and belittling the right of circumcision, saying that it didn't even matter. And, and again, God viewed views... Uh, basically, what Paul was saying is that God viewed the uncircumcised Gentiles as being circumcised, and he and, and, and God viewed also the circumcised Jews as being uncircumcised. Uh, why? Because of the condition of their heart. And he really, um, uh, I'm sure, offended his Jewish audience when he said that in God's eyes... The Gentiles were more Jewish than the Jews were, not because of the outward appearance and not because they had adhered to uh, uh, the rite of circumcision because in reality they hadn't done that, but because of the condition of their hearts, God's saying that the Gentiles were more Jewish than the Jews were. It's almost as if uh, Paul was insulting Uh, the national identity of the Jewish people. Praise God, the Lord's no respecter of person. But here Paul again uh, uh, is is addressing a reactive question that the Jews might have asked, and that is so, or even the Gentiles, what advantage uh, uh, has a Jew over a Gentile? Or what profit is there of circumcision? Is there any reason then to be circumcised? Uh, according to what the, the previous statements that he had made uh, at the end of chapter 2. Even though most of the Gentiles were uncircumcised, God was more apt to receive them, accept them, and view them as being more Jewish than the Jews, because the Lord saw the hearts of the saved Gentiles as being circumcised, as opposed to many of the Jews, whose hearts the Lord saw as being in an uncircumcised condition. Uh, That being said, the natural follow-up question one must ask is the uh, exact one, or actually two Paul addresses in verse 1 of chapter 3, where the Bible says, what advantage then hath the Jew, or what profit there is, is there of circumcision? In other words, is there even any real benefit to being a Jew in the first place, and is there even any reason at all to be circumcised? And Paul begins to answer those questions in verse number 2, much every way. Uh, this is a commission, a commission. Much every way, chiefly because that unto them, or the Jews, were committed the oracles of God. Here, Paul reveals the advantage of the benefit the Jews had in over the Gentiles by reminding us something that he had already talked quite lengthily about in chapter number 2, and that is it was to the Jews that the oracles or the law of God had been entrusted and committed to in the first place. And because of that, the Jews had an advantage uh, by by way of of the fact that they had been made aware of the law, which gave them both the opportunity and the responsibility to meet the holy standards uh, and expected requirements God laid out and set forth for them to follow. Uh, again, and it, and it go, you uh, know, it, it all goes back to this idea that with privilege comes responsibility. And you know, you and I, we have a tendency to want more than what we have. We ask God, "Would you give me more? Uh, would you give me more money that I have? Would you give me a, a more talent or more uh, responsibility or greater privilege than what I have right now? Make me more popular. Give me a, a better job." Uh, Amen. Help me to climb to a higher level uh, on the totem pole of society. Uh, But you know, again, with more privilege comes greater responsibility. Unto whomsoever much is given of him shall much more be required. The more God gives to you, the more he expects out of you in return, which is a principle of stewardship in the Word of God. And because the Jews had been given the law of God, they had an advantage over the Gentiles to a certain extent because uh, they were without excuse and they had an opportunity to measure up to or to attempt to measure up to the standards and the requirements of the law because God had revealed it to them and made them aware of it. Uh, Of course, we know that they failed in that because no man can live up to the standards of God's law, Uh, amen, and that is the purpose of the law, not to make men righteous but to make man aware of his unrighteous condition. Uh, Again, there's a production, verse number 3, "...for what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect?" Here Paul addresses another question that he feared might enter into the minds of his audience regarding the consequences of those who did not believe and were found unfaithful to the Lord... Specifically, the question Paul asks is whether or not the unbelief and unfaithfulness of some of the Jews, or we might even say, what if all the Jews had been unfaithful? Again, those who were trusting in the right of circumcision over and above their obedience and adherence to the law of God, whether or not their obedience and their unfaithfulness and their disbelief, did that cause the law of God and the word of God to be made Without effect. effect. In other words, does our unbelief to God's Word and our uh, refusal to adhere to it and to submit to it, does does, does our uh, unbelief naturally cancel out or make the law of God null, null, void, and of none effect? The answer to this question is absolutely not. Our unbelief does not demean or diminish the effectiveness or, or the authority of God's Word at all. Why? Because just like the nature of God itself, listen to me today, friend, the Word of God is immutable and it will never change. Uh, Man's response to God's law and God's Word does not move, alter, affect, or change the Word of God in the slightest way whatsoever. You see, friend, and we're going to just settle down here for a minute, and we're going to get this point across, and, and, and we won't get nearly as far today as we'd like, but again, we've made some progress over the last several days. But whether or not you and I believe or obey God's Word does not alter or change the truth, the authority, the reliability, or the efficacy of God's Word. The Word of God cannot be manipulated or influenced by the thoughts, the ideas, and the philosophies of man. And in our modern day, we've done our best to try and twist, spin, alter, and change the Word of God to conveniently fit and mold into into the image and the way we want to portray ourselves and our own lives. Again, just like we've tried to do with the Word of God itself, we've tried to create a uh, user-friendly and a customized version of the Word of God. And I really believe that's the purpose for a lot of the, the different versions of the Scripture. Amen. Just like with uh, various flavors of ice creams, You go down to the ice cream shop and you can get uh, any, uh, any different kind or flavor of ice cream you want. Amen. You don't have to just uh, take it as it is. I mean, you can get strawberry ice cream. You can get vanilla ice cream. You can get all kinds of different flavors of ice cream to sit, to fit, or satisfy what you want. Well, that's what we've done with the Word of God. You can go down to the bookshop, any Bible bookstore you want to go to, and you'll find all kinds of different versions of the Bible. Uh, why? Well, I believe it's just uh, another way for man to customize the Word of God or to create a user-friendly or an uh, easier-to-understand version of the Scriptures. We're trying to customize God's Word. We're trying to to, um, uh, make God's Word more convenient or more comfortable for us to fit our image of what we want the Word of God to be. Amen. Amen rather than to accept the Word of God as it is at face value. Friend, we're only fooling ourselves to think that man can somehow conform the Word of God into his own image or idea of what man wants it to say. And may I say to you that I believe that Satan's real purpose and his true agenda for all of the many different kinds of versions, and that's another subject for an entirely different study, but I believe that the real purpose of Satan for creating all of these different versions and translations of the Word of God is to try and uh, undermine the, uh, the credibility of, uh, of the Word of God in man's eyes. I want to remind you today that if God can or if, the, if the devil can confuse you or cause you to question the credibility and the reliability and the accuracy of the Bible, that he's he's already got you. You've already fallen into his trap. Amen. And, and And I'm afraid that Satan is using all of these different versions and translations of the Bible. He's using that as a means, a way, and a method to confuse people and to cause them to question the reliability and the credibility of the Word of God. Human beings don't have the right or the authority to determine what God's Word either says or means. And really, that's what a lot of these versions are. And again, there's all different types of techniques and methods man uses to translate and interpret the Word of God. Amen. Uh, Dynamic equivalence, boy, I am getting off track. Dynamic equivalence versus verbal equivalent method of translation. And all I can say to you about that is uh, a, a verbal equivalent translation of the scriptures basically takes God's word at face value and interprets it literally. It's a literal translation. It's a literal interpretation. Whereas a dynamic equivalent method of translation uh, or a version of the Bible that uses the method of dynamic equivalent To translate the scriptures. Amen. Their objective of translation is not to give you, is not accuracy, but it's readability. In other words, it's not as important to you, to them, to be true and faithful to the accurate and the literal meaning or interpretation of the text, but they want to help you understand. They want to use their own uh, subjective. Uh, ideology or their subjective opinion to help you understand uh, God's word. In other words a verbal equivalent translation uh, a translation or a version that uses the principle of dynamic equivalence to translate the word of God their objective the objective of the translator is to help you out. Amen. And, And to help you understand not just what the Bible means, but to help you understand, or excuse me, not just to help you understand what the Bible says literally and to the point as it's found in the original Greek translation manuscript or Hebrew if it's in the Old Testament. But they want to help you out and they take the liberty and the right. They think they have the authority to help you understand not what the Bible literally says, but to help you understand what they think it means. Which in itself is confusing, and it makes God's word. It it undermines God's word. It destabilizes uh, the credibility of God's word by t- taking the word of God from being objective in nature and not subject to man to, to man's opinion. To and it, and it turns the word of God. Into something that is subjective to man's opinion. In other words, I, I can take God's word instead of it saying what it says, uh, saying what it means, and means what it says. Well, the word of God can mean whatever I want it to mean, and it can be subjective to my own opinion. Amen, friend. Human beings, people that we people do not have the right or the authority to determine. What God's Word either says or means, God is the one that made that determination when He authored it. Amen. When He inspired it, when He breathed it out, and when He moved upon holy men of old to write it down, not as, not according to their opinions or their faults or their own ideas or agendas, but according to the infallible, and inerrant, inspired truth of God's Word. No Scripture is of any... Private interpretation. Uh, And because of that, the Bible says what it means, and it means what it says, regardless of how easily it can fit or be molded into either the world or man's image. Amen. Someone once said, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. No, my friend. God says it, and that settles it, regardless of whether or not you or I believe it or not. Amen. I love one of my favorite verses In the Word of God is Psalm 119.89 where the Scriptures say, Forever, O Lord, Thy Word is settled in heaven. Amen. God's Word is settled. Amen. If you're watching or listening today, say that with me. It's settled. Amen. It's settled. Say it one more time. It's settled. It cannot be changed. It cannot be altered. It cannot be influenced. It cannot be manipulated. It just says... Um, what it means and it means what it says. It's an incorruptible seed. 1 Peter 1.23 That liveth and abideth forever. God's Word always has and always will endure every attempt man has made to devalue it, to demean it, or to destroy it. Regardless of what the world may say or think about it and regardless of what any of us, whether or not any of us may agree with it, it's still settled. The Word of God is settled and that means, uh, that it means, the Bible means what it says and says what it means and there's absolutely nothing anybody on this earth can do about it. Why? Because the Word of God is forever settled in heaven. And because it's settled in heaven, we better have it settled in our own hearts and lives as well. Somebody said, well, I know what the Bible says, I just don't agree with it. Well, who gives a rip whether you agree with it or not? That doesn't change anything. Whether or not you agree with it, whether or not I like it, whether or not, uh, uh, amen, it's it's, it's, uh, convenient or comfortable to my life, whether or not it fits into the customized or user-friendly version that I want it to be, uh, amen, that doesn't mean anything. That doesn't make any difference. Why? Because the Word of God is what it is. It says what it says and it means what it means. And you better have it settled in your heart uh, as to the authority, uh, uh, amen, and the credibility of God's Word uh, as it relates to your life because in the high court of heaven, God's Word has been and it always will be forever settled, amen, a dominion. God forbid, yet let God be true and every man a liar. Amen, hallelujah, the Lord's let me ride a hobby horse today, verse number 4. But I can't think of a better subject we could preach on than the the credibility and the reliability of the Scriptures. God forbid, yea, let God be true, and every man a liar. Here we find the reason why man does not have the ability to either change, alter, or affect the Word of God. Because the bottom line, God's Word is both superior to and greater than man's Word. (laughs) Uh, Friend, I hate to burst your bubble, but your word doesn't hold a candle to God's word. Your word is inferior, greatly inferior to the authority of the scriptures. Anything God says is true, regardless of whether or not the thoughts, ideas, opinions, philosophies, or words of man line up with it or not. That doesn't make any difference. Amen. What man's word says, I mean, man can uh, create or prescribe some law or edict, But listen, brother, if it uh, goes against God's Word, you better ignore, you better spit the Word of man, you better spit the rule or the edict or the law of man out and make sure your life adheres to and and complies with, thus saith the Lord. Anything God says is true. It's objective. Man's Word is subjective. On the other hand, anything man man says that goes against the Bible or is contrary to the Word of God is simply a false or an untrue statement and must be considered a lie. The question is, when we stand before God, do we want our words, our thoughts, our ideas, our opinions, and our philosophies to be considered a lie or to be of the truth? I mean, that's up to you, friend. And I want to encourage all of us today to make it a high priority in our lives to make sure that we fall on the right side of things as it relates to just exactly where we stand regarding the Word of God, because on, on Judgment Day, whether or not you are considered a liar or a contender of the truth will depend upon which side of the line you fall on regarding the Word of God. Somebody said, "Well, I think it's all right for me uh, to be unfaithful to the House of God. I don't have to go to. I don't think I have to go to church. In my mind, I believe it's okay for me." Uh, not to affiliate myself with a local congregation or assembly because you know I'm reasoning this thing out and logically speaking within the confines and the ideas of my mind it's okay the church in my mind it's not an assembly it's not an ecclesia it's not a gathering together of God's people but I am the church amen me I'm the church in my own mind so you're You're thinking of yourself more highly than you ought to. That's a statement that's hatched out of the pits of hell and you're you're spewing that out of your mouth. That's poison coming out of the depths uh, of your own heart of pride. That's a proud and boastful statement for you to say, I am the church individually. And I don't have to be a part of the church collectively because I am the church individually. No, friend, you're not the church. Amen. You, You don't have the right... God help you to have the guts, the gall, and the nerve to declare yourself to be the church. No, you are blessed. You are privileged and it's an honor for you to be a part of a local assembly and a local offshoot of the greater body of Christ. You are not the church uh, individually, but you are a part of the church collectively and congregationally. So you need to get your butt uh, parked on a pew somewhere every Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night and thank the, the good God above that He would uh, grant you the mercy and the grace to be a part of His body. Amen. You don't have the right to determine what a church is. God's already declared what a church is. Amen. In His Word. It's not subjective to your opinion. When the Bible says in Hebrews chapter number 10, Forsake not uh, the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. And so much more as you see uh, the day approaching, you don't have the right to dispute that. You don't have the right as a finite human being, uh, amen to question that or to deny it. Uh, amen. God forbid that you would uh, re- try to refute or debate. Uh, thus saith the Lord, my friend, you better just adhere to it, and comply your life to it and submit to it before, God works you over for your negligence and disobedience. Amen. Do you want God to call you a liar on judgment day? Because you uh, have the gall and the nerve to spew some poison and venom out of your mouth that is contrary to, to what the Bible says? God forbid, whether it be in this life or in the life to come, that I would have the nerve to utter words out of my mouth that are contrary to the Scriptures. I want to make sure that the words of my mouth Line up with the words of God. I want to make sure that the words of my life, are, that they collaborate with, that they mesh with, that they line up with, thus saith the Lord. If you agree with God's Word, if you submit to God's Word, if you recognize uh, the Word of God to be the absolute authority of your life, then you will be considered of the truth. But on the other hand, if you deny it, reject it, and if you refuse to admit and recognize it for what it is, the eternal and forever settled Word of God, you will be viewed and dealt with as a liar in the sight of God on judgment day. And if that be treason, you make the mo- most of it. Amen. if that hair lifts you, you either need to get right with God, or worst case scenario, you need to get born again and you need to get saved. By God's grace. Justification, verse 4. As it is written that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings and mightest overcome when thou art judged. And notice the emphasis upon uh, our vocabulary and the words of our lives. Justified in thy sayings, what we say. I want to make sure that my words are correct, that my talk and my communication, uh, the, the the words that are uttered out of my mouth, especially... Uh, Uh, as a preacher of the Word of God. I want to make sure that my words agree with, line up with, and parallel the Word of God. Here we find one of the main purposes of the Scripture. We might include the truth that is found in God's law, that is to justify man and to give man the ability to overcome and to be declared just and righteous when man stands before God. And friend, it's not as if the Word of God or the law of God itself justifies man, but it's that the law of God makes man aware of the high standards that God has for his life and it also provides man with a way and avenue and an opportunity for man to be justified and to be able to overcome the depravity of his own estate and his own sinful condition. But here's the thing, it's not as if man has the right or the Authority to justify the law or the Word of God. Man, I tell you, I'm having a a good time today preaching on the Bible. Amen. I love to preach about the Word of God. But here it is. You and I, we don't have the right to justify the Scriptures. Amen. Man doesn't justify God's Word. God's Word justifies or condemns man. Amen. One of the greatest blasphemies that could ever be committed in society is for man to attempt to condemn God's Word or to reject God's Word or to dispute God's Word or to undermine God's Word. And there's a whole lot of false prophets that are going to burn in hell. They're going to fry in the flames of hell because they've done a a dishonor and and a, a disservice to the Word of God by trying to dispute it rather than uphold it the word of God gives man away and provides him with an opportunity to be justified in God's sight if you'll ever be justified if you'll ever be declared righteous it's because of the word of God we've got this thing backwards in our day to where we want to take the liberty to determine or to decide whether or not God's word is right true right or true or whether or not it's false and full of errors kind of like we human beings can somehow determine whether or not what God says to us is really okay. God, it's all right for you to say this to me, but you better not say this to me, Lord. You know, I'll agree with this and I'll go along with that, but if it's not convenient for me, if it's not user-friendly to me, if I don't like it, if it don't taste good, I'm going to spit it out and spew it out. No, friend, you better not be concerned about spewing God out. You better be concerned about Him spewing you out of His mouth. Amen. When in reality what we think or say or believe about God's Word really has absolutely no bearing at all on whether or not it's right or wrong and true or false. Why? Because again, man does not have the right to justify or validate the truth of God's Word. In reality, God's Word has already validated and vindicated itself. Why? By neither having flaw or error, I challenge you to find one mistake within the pages of God's Word. Now, some of these false versions might have flaws and errors, but amen, I'm talking about the true, living, incorruptible seed of Scripture there will never be. You'll never find a flaw or an error or a mistake. And because God's Word is eternal, perfect, and forever settled in heaven, it's not about what... It's not about we sinners trying to justify the Word of God, but it's about the Word of God justifying us or condemning us. If you are ever justified, declared righteous, and found out by God to be pleasing in His sight, it's because you've done so by following and submitting your life to the laid out plan of Scriptures for how you are going to go about being made just and righteous in the sight and the eyes of a holy God. In order to be justified, you won't be able to do it uh, by making your own way. Amen. Or by conforming God's Word to the way you want to live your life or obtain uh, acceptance in His sight. But you must go through and buy the only way laid out in the Holy Scriptures as to how just man can be made perfect. And by the way, the only way God gives is Jesus Christ. Plain and simple. No other way. Uh, Under heaven given among men, whereby men must be saved besides Jesus Christ. Commendation, verse number 5. But if our unrighteousness can commend the righteousness of God. Here Paul reveals how that the unrighteousness of man actually commends and confirms the holy righteousness of God. Here we find a truth that a lot of people don't want to talk about very much in our world today. And that is the righteousness of God is more important than the righteousness of men could ever think about being. And what I mean by that is that in the grand scheme of things, whether or not we sinners end up being right or not, or just or not, is minimal and trivial compared and contrasted against the highness and the holiness of God's righteous standard. And even if none of us sinners ever choose to allow ourselves to be made righteous by God, it doesn't alter, change, or affect the righteousness of a, of, of a holy God in any way whatsoever. Now don't get me wrong. If you go to hell, it is a big deal. Why? Because you've done so. You, uh, in order for you to go to hell, you've got to trample over the holy righteousness and the precious blood of Jesus that it was shed. Uh, amen. That, you talk about a big deal to God. Amen. Somebody wasting The blood of Jesus. Uh, Amen. Somebody uh, ignoring the righteousness of our Savior that was was, uh, imputed unto us and was offered us. Amen. That's a big deal. Yes, because God loves you. But it's not nearly as big a deal uh, uh, as we want to make it out to be because there's something more important to God uh, than our righteousness versus our condemnation. And that's His holiness. And His righteousness. God's not going to compromise Himself just so He can get you into heaven. No, my friend. God's not going to compromise His personality. His nature. He's not going to sacrifice His holiness just so He can make you holy. Oh, no, friend. If you go to hell, God will still be holy. And if God's faced with the choice as to whether or not uh, for Him to be unholy so you can be holy, no, my friend you better be sure that in the eternities and the eons of time, God will still be who He always has been and who He always will be, and that is the eternal, holy, and righteous God of creation. Amen. The cold, hard truth of the matter is that the entire world can go to hell, and every sinner that's ever been born on this earth could refuse the gracious way and the opportunity God has has freely given him Uh, So that man could be made righteous. And it won't change or affect uh, the nature, uh, amen, and the personality of God one bit. He'll still be just. He'll still be right. He'll still be holy even if the whole world goes to hell. Someone once said God would be wrong or unjust to let any sinner go to hell. And my answer to that friend is no. God could let every sinner that's ever been born die and split hell wide open and he'd still be right and just for doing so why? because he don't owe uh, us sinners anything and because we're the creature and he's the creator he has the right to do with us as he sees fit and by the way God will let every sinner go to hell who refuses and rejects the way he's made and the opportunity he's given for sinners to be made just and righteous through Jesus Christ and if you go to hell it won't be because God sent you there. It'll be because you chose to go there and all He's done is allowed you to reap uh, the fruit of your own sinful choice to go there. And I'd go so far as to say that it would be unjust and unrighteous for God to let any sinner escape hell and enter into heaven who does not choose to come uh, by the prescribed way He's made for man to be made righteous in His sight. It would be a sin for God to let you to go, go to heaven in spite of your sin. That's right. It would be wrong. It would be unjust. It would, be, it would make God unrighteous for Him to overlook your sin and ignore your sin and turn a blind eye or a deaf ear to your sin just so He could let you into heaven. No, my friend. God's, God's holiness and God's righteousness always supersedes our righteousness and our holiness. He's made every way possible. He's given given man every opportunity he possibly can. But there comes a line where man, God has to let man go. Give man up, turn man over, and leave man alone. So if you want to go to hell, then go to hell. Amen. But I'm not going to compromise my holiness just to get you to heaven. Amen. I'm going to make sure that when it's all said and done, I'm still holy. Because my holiness and my righteousness and my justice, speaking of God, is what's most important. There's a reputa- rep- retribution, verse 5, and we end with this. What shall we say? Is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? I speak as a man. And this goes back to the previous statement we just made regarding how that the vengeance, the wrath, and the judgment of God upon our sin actually verifies and validates the justice of God. Amen. Someone once said if God really is merciful, good and loving, He'd turn a blind eye, a deaf ear and He'd let man get away with his sin uh, rather than to judge him over it. And to that I say, no my friend, the judgment and the righteousness of God is what demands uh, demands and requires God to judge fallen man and to pour out the fullness of His wrath, fury and vengeance upon man over his sin. God cannot let man get away with sin." And for God to not hold man responsible for man's sin would make God become a sinner. And that's what scares me so much about the state and the condition we're in right now here in America. Because for so long we've been gathering up and accumulating a judgment tab and a vengeance tab here in America because of all the sins we've committed against a holy God. And if we think that God is somehow going to turn away from our sin and overlook our sin and let us, let uh, the the blessed USA because of how special we are as a nation get away with our sin, then we're crazy. The just, holy, and righteous nature of God simply will not let or allow Him overlook our sin. He couldn't do it. He'd be unholy. He'd be unrighteous. He'd He'd be unjust. He'd be a sinner to let man Get away with his sin. As my old grandpa used to say, if God let America get by with her sin, he'd have to apologize to others of whom he's judged for their sin. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Friend, I want to remind you today as we close that America is accumulating a judgment debt faster than she can even count it up. And one day soon, I'm afraid the Lord's going to cash the debt out. He's going to settle up our account and He's going to make America pay for all the sins she's committed against His high and holy name. It's going to all, amen, the scales are going to be balanced out perfectly. There will be no unfairness. There will be no injustice. There will no, there'll be no uh, preferential or discriminatory treatment towards man whether it be individually or nationally regarding sin. But one of these days, the scales will be, Balanced perfectly regarding uh, the right and just demands by the Word of God and by the nature of God in and upon the lives of human, human beings and over our sins. Man's going to have to pay for his sin. Someone once said, The God I serve would not ever do, uh, you know. The the God I serve would never do something like that. Well, maybe the God you serve isn't really the God of the Bible, because in order for the God of the Bible to be holy, just, and righteous, He must judge His creatures and over their sins. One way or another, either our sins will be, or either the judgment of God fell on Jesus Christ and over our sins, or He's going to judge us over our sins. There's no middle ground. There's no compromise. There's no in between. Either God's wrath fell on Jesus or one day the full fury of His wrath, vengeance, and judgment is going to fall on your life as you burn forever, as you fry like sausage in the flames of a devil's hell over the sins that could have been forgiven, could have been laid on Jesus if you'd only accepted Him and received Him and allowed Him to pardon your life because of your sin. Amen. One day the, fuel, the full fury of God's wrath Vengeance and judgment will fall on your life because you have the guts, the gall, and the nerve to refuse, to reject, and to turn away from the offering and the sacrifice Jesus made for you and on your behalf when He died in your place on Calvary's rugged cross. There's no escaping that. There's no getting around that. There's no middle ground. There's no compromise. Either your sin was was judged uh, on Jesus' when He died in your place and for your sin, or one day your sins will be judged in and upon your life as you suffer throughout all eternity in the flames and fires of hell. You better make sure you fall on the right side of things as it relates to judgment. Amen. You better make sure that your sins have been dealt with through Jesus Christ. You better make sure there's been a day when your name was written down in the Lamb's Book of Life Your life was forever changed and transformed and pardoned and forgiven. Not because you kept the law and because you lived up to God's standard, but because Jesus did it for you when you weren't able able to meet the standard of God that He required for you in your life. That's all for another day of the Trumpet Series Bible Study Broadcast. I hope it's been a blessing to you. Tune in again tomorrow as we continue our study of Romans, chapter number 3. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I love you. I thank you for giving me this opportunity. I pray. That your word of God would be of effect, God. That it wouldn't be bound, God. But that it'd go forth, God. And penetrate the lives of the hearers, God. That it would cut sharper than any two-edged sword. God, that it would convict us. And it would cause us to be turned from our sin and towards a holy and living God. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you, uh, God, for the fact that your word is forever settled in heaven. God, it's forever settled. It can't be changed. God, it can't be twisted. It can't be spun. It cannot be interpreted in a different way, in a more convenient way uh, that, that, that fits and molds more easily into our lives. Father, I love You and I love Your Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a great day.